0: mentioned the passage that I was going to use this morning, uh, really as uh, uh, talking about us as church from yesterday and how we're moving forward. Uh, Church with a purpose, church in its call to mission. And uh, the passage I I, I spoke about was uh, from Acts 26, 17 to 18. Paul is before Agrippa, Uh, he's defending himself, he's been sent all over the place already, and uh, now now he's in front of Agrippa. And he's recounting uh, the call of Christ on his life, and he said, uh, what happened? when he encountered Jesus. He said he heard the words of, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those are sanctified by faith in me and that's uh, essentially I guess the call of any minister or any Christian the church uh, is to turn people from darkness to light I'm going to put it in its context and and read uh, the wider passage so you can see what was going on and his kind of his conversation with uh, a so I'm going to read from um, chapter 25, 5, verse 23, uh, down to the end, which we've just read. So if you want to follow that, uh, we're in uh, Acts, chapter tw- 25, starting at verse 23 through to 26, 18. This is Paul, St. Paul, uh, he's called, isn't he? We have any problem with that? No one has a problem with that? St. Paul, Paul the Apostle, preacher to the Gentiles. It's interesting, though, that he's got his journey, and we need to remember that, actually, when Paul himself writes to the churches he writes them to the saints. So it would be to the saints in Ephesus. That means, um, unbelievably, we're saints uh, in Christ. So it's like me saying, St. John, or St. Joan, or St. Kevin. I mean, you're all saints, I'm just picking, you know, Tom. (laughs) You know, it's just like, he's not there yet, is he? He's on his way, he'll get there. But it's, it's, it's important to us that this is Paul's story, but you've got your story as well. So we think about St. Paul and we elevate them, but actually we are witnesses uh, to Christ. We've just seen this over Easter. We are witnesses to what we've seen and heard. We're witnesses in so much much that we've got our story. This is Paul's uh, story. So I'm in Acts 25, verse 23. Paul before Agrippa. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. So lots of important people around. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, "'King Agrippa and all who are present with us, "'you see this man. "'The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him.'" Paul's been causing a bit of a stir. uh, "'About him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, "'shouting that he ought to not live any longer.'" They want to kill him, the messenger of Christ. Christ was killed, he rose again, but there's the messenger of Christ uh, getting the same treatment. I found he had done nothing deserving of death. See the parallel? But because he made his appeal to the emperor, I had decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write, for I think it is unreasonable... To send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Paul's calling on his experience. He was um, uh, a really well-respected Jewish person. He knew the law. He's basically saying to him, come on, you know me. You know my background. So please listen to me carefully. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our twelve tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? He's saying to me, if we look at the Old Testament, this is the one that they were talking about. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This is his past. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against him. He was a persecutor of Christians. I don't know if you're sitting there thinking, God can't do anything with you, your past is too great. You need to have a listen of Paul's past. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Well, I and mean, it's a bit of a story, isn't it? And uh, uh, most people sort of say, oh, I had a Damascus Road experience, but they don't necessarily apply it to faith. It can be anything. You know, I was sort of taking an exam and I had this Damascus Road experience. I don't think Jesus really did a, appear in, in light and gave them the voice and answered the question. They just said, I had a moment of clarity. So we know it's used quite often. And yesterday we talked about uh, this passage, really, I did, just really briefly. This, is, this has got to be a minister's call. It's also got to be the call for the mission of the church. We're told about the mission of the church in many different ways. Of course, we've got the Great Commission uh, to get people to believe and be baptised, teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded them. Uh, It's the Great Commission. The church has to live it. Uh, Who's the church? It's not the building. You're the church, the people. This is Paul's story, but all of us in this room have our own story. And all of us have our own story to tell. In his book, Just Walk Across the Room, Bill Hybels said, our affinity for stories begins at an early age, as little kids begging weary parents, read it again, read it again, I've been there, you know, you've kept up phrases, aren't you? Um, where am I? Oh yeah, as we become mature, contributing members of society, our childlike fascination with the powerful hero or the magical fairies morphs into a simple desire to enter into someone else's reality of, in hope of making sense of our own. Every person alive today has a story too. And possibly the greatest realisation a person can make is this. My story and your story fits into God's greatest story. And that's the greatest story ever told. Your story and my story fits into God's story. And that is the greatest story ever told. And we've all got a story. All of us. What about you? I wonder if if you think that, if your story fits into that greatest story ever told. The answer to the question has to be a yes. Your story fits into God's story because you fit into God's story. He's called you by name. And God can use your story to make a difference in someone else's life. You might be sitting there saying, well, I can't do that. That's what Lynn said in the pub last week. We can't do that. She did it, though, and then gives testimony about it. Probably thought she couldn't give testimony as well. Is she here? Is she gone? She's in Beginners. Oh, I can speak nastily then. <laughs> no, we love Lynn. And it's nice, it's nice that um, she can share that. But simple, probably might have prayed for an opportunity. I keep telling you all to do that. But then there's these opportunities, there's these stories. Okay, you, that one was about baptism. This passage we're reading, it's Paul's final hearing that he gets in the book of Acts. It's the third time that we hear him recount his conversion story. So I've just got a few points, and then I'm going to hand over to uh, St. Tom. There's a start, isn't there? He has an encounter with Jesus, verse 15. He's on the Damascus Road, and his eyes are opened. I, and he hears his word: I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. He was a persecutor. He was travelling. He wasn't, he wasn't, it wasn't enough to stay in his own town. He travelled to get more of it. He was really persecuting Christians. And, and we've seen in recent history, this is still going on. People are getting killed for being Christians. And we're relatively safe in this country. Ministers in other uh, countries are getting locked up. People are still persecuting Jesus because that's who they're persecuting when they do that. And because our people can moan about that, and of course, you know, it's right to pray for them, but the prayer must be, let their eyes be opened. Paul, that was Paul's concern all the time. So he has this encounter with Christ. He's on the Damascus Road. He's a persecutor of Christians. His eyes are opened. We all know what BC means, don't we? What does it mean? Before Christ. But we use that on the dating, don't we? But all of us in this room some of them, are, some of you are still there, have a before Christ. What was my life like before Christ? I've got that. I've got a story. I'm not going to share all of it with you. It'll scare you. Some of it's nice. A lot of it's not. But I had a before Christ. And I had to meet, I had to meet him. Someone had to introduce me to him through Alfred, in my case, and then people walking with me. But we've all got a before Christ. What was my life like before I knew Christ? Some of you are really blessed because... You just feel you've known Jesus all your life. And, and I wish that was me. Um, I think every testimony, it's your story. It's your story that's part of the bigger story. No one's story is better than the other. For some people, they can point to the second uh, that they were, uh, became a follower of Christ. And Alpha, I was teaching the other week. For some people, it's like they got on a plane in Germany and flew to Switzerland and they fell asleep. They're not sure when they crossed the border, but they know they're in Switzerland. So they're just on their journey. And we've got the road to Emmaus in the Bible where people are walking with Jesus and they don't recognise him, and suddenly they do. All the stories are good, and all of the stories fit into his greater story. What happened for me? I got married. Part of the marriage deal, apparently I'd heard it differently from the minister, was that I'd attend an Alpha course. That was my moment, and I was willing to listen. So that was the start. Paul's got his start. I've got my start. You've got your start. And you can always say to someone, well, this is what I was like before I was a Christian. And, but then this is what happened, and this is what life like is like now. <laughs> then there's a command. He says in verse 16, after, encounters, after the encounter with Paul, get up and stand on your feet. Yeah, I didn't know, uh, or John didn't know, the passage I was preaching from. and It's interesting, um, with the AGM, I did have a quick glance at the order of services to make sure everything was all right. And, and it was. And uh, be had stand up, stand up for Jesus. We don't sing that too much. But I thought, well, that's interesting because that's in my, in my sermon, making a stand for Christ. We need to uh, get up and stand up. I think the church in some um, parts of the country and sometimes within ourselves as well, we feel a bit weak at the knees. And it's not weak at the knees because we're falling on our knees in prayer. We're, we're on our knees because we haven't got the required faith in God. And the identity that we get from having an encounter with Jesus brings responsibility. We, don't want, we want the church on its knees in prayer, but not it to be a weak church or a discouraged church that's on his knees. And I would say, God would say to us this morning, get up and stand. You know, the world needs us to stand and speak truth. And then he gives him his commission in verse 16. He's appointed as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. And again, all of us have got our story. But are we going to be willing to share it? All of you are witnesses. You might not all be evangelists, I, I get that. But if you've got a story, you can be a witness. And then he gives him his mission, verse 17, 18. I will rescue you from your own people. Remember, they wanted him dead, his own people. You know, he knew what it was to be persecuted. And from the Gentiles, I'm sending you to them. And that, that's, It's the same for us now, we're a sent people. It's fantastic to come to church on a Sunday and to our groups and everything else, but we are a sent people. I love being up the high street. Uh, the other week with the hot cross buns. I didn't like the hot cross buns. I don't like stuff with fruit in. Um, but um, maybe we'll get some sausage rolls next week. I'll put a request in or next year even. I'll have one next week if they're there. But but it was amazing. I can't remember if I shared, I know I shared it yesterday. I, can't, I said to Tom, I didn't know if I shared it here last week. But we had 300 hot cross buns. And um, we went to the high street. And, and I went in the blue ball, not hiding. Um, I just went in there to say, can we book a table for lunch after? And they said, well, you can't book. Uh, because uh, we don't take bookings and I said okay fair enough she said, she said this is quarter to twelve we was meeting at twelve she said but look at the pub it's empty I said well yeah but people have probably come in she goes no good Friday this is packed at this time it was a really hot day I don't know if you remember uh, last Friday <laughs> it was a hot day and I thought oh you know we've got 300 hot cross buns and no one's here I mean I'm looking up and down the high street seemed a bit empty I said to Gary no one's here, we've got, how long is it going to take us he said no don't worry, it'll be alright and said to the I no one here he goes no don't worry and they all had more faith than me I said we've just got to make ourselves available 45 minutes later the whole lot had gone 45 minutes, 300 hot cross buns, 300 conversations, there's a whole team there um, opportunities, some of them were, were you know, interesting conversations, some of them were quite uh, you know, good ones um, uh, some people didn't want to know uh, I was surprised how many people did. Um, what are you doing this for? Well, it's Good Friday, so what? I mean, it's amazing how many people don't know what Good Friday's about, isn't it? I'd, I wouldn't have. My, my BC, it was just four days off uh, because, you know, I don't know, maybe the government thought we needed a rest. I had no idea. Because we know the story, but they, they don't out there. And so we're, we're just giving these away. What do you want? We don't want nothing. We just get, Why are you giving it away for nothing? Because... Jesus died for me, and it, it cost me nothing, it cost him everything. So we've paid for him as a church, we think it's a nice thing to do. Really, yeah, there's a little tract in there, if you want to read it, oh, thank you very much, what a lovely thing to do. And, and you know, some people will I don't want to know, you know, and, all the rest of it. and they missed out, you know, and bless them, Lord, not too much, but anyway. <laughs> um. <laughs> but it brought two things home to me, which I shared yesterday. One is, people are more open, you think, and two is, it's great to be on the high street. And I know I bang on about that, but it was brilliant to be among the people, where the people are, and evangelising on the high street. And it was only about, I can't remember, ten of us, I guess, and you know, three hundred points of contact in forty-five minutes. You think about that. What what could happen if we was really open to it? So. He is sending us. He sent Paul and he's sending us to be among the people and we're a people of God's presence. And he had purpose in that sending, verse 18, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. There's a purpose in everything we do. It's great to come here and be filled and be sent out, but there's a purpose for that. We are called to be witnesses. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses all over the place. People are lost. I see it in their faces. I walk around, they've got sometimes nothing, they've got sometimes everything, but they haven't got Christ, so therefore it's a gaping hole. And I can see the lostness, lost, and they are lost. The Bible said they're all like sheep that have gone astray, and they need the good shepherd, but most of them don't know it. And we're not telling them as much as we should. But I do see it in their faces. They're filling their lives with things because they're searching. Most of those things aren't good for them. And as a church, we're trying to find ways, and I know you are as well, to reach them, whether it's inviting them to Alpha, inviting them to church. We've got loads of groups that go on, things like Global Cafe, Toddlers, Babies, uh, Sunny Days, loads of them I could mention. And it's great to serve in that way, but we can't only serve, we've got to share as well. We can't only have them in the church for a number of years and never tell them, because they're still going to the, the nasty places. We must have a purpose. And the purpose is to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Because the task is, is too important not to, not to give them the opportunity. And what's the intended outcome? You find it, you see it there in verse 18. So that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Forgiveness. It's so, we need forgiveness in the world. And Jesus offers forgiveness. Uh, my BC needed a lot of a lot of forgiveness but my life since needs a lot of forgiveness as well and he is faithful and he forgives and he loves and he accepts and when I wander his love finds us and brings us back but surely our intention is we've got to f- help people find their way back to God find their place in his family we call it the church or Jesus does he believes in it and I believe in the church for all, for all it's good and sometimes it's not so good I really believe in the church and I believe in all of you that you can tell your story and I think if you pray for those opportunities, you might find yourself in a pub on a Sunday night after church. Um, just maybe an opportunity to come your way as well. Maybe it would be on a bus. Or we heard a testimony the other week of someone on a train. We drunk too much. Uh, the opportunities will be there. But you've got your story. Think about what it is. Just think about, what was my BC? What was life like? What happened? And what's it like now? What does God mean for me? It's that simple. You only have someone for three minutes. Do a minute on each subject. Three points. Not, they don't teach that Spurgeons. Everyone thinks they do, but it's good to remember. What was, what was I before? What happened? What about now? Because your story fits in the greatest story ever told. And it's too important not to share. Yesterday was great. Uh, I love What I loved about yesterday was it was an AGM. And I would suggest that historically, and certainly AGMs outside of church as much as inside, normally would get a bit of a groan. Oh, we have got the AGM, better go. But actually, what a fantastic day, same as last year, of celebration, of thanking God for all that's gone before, expecting of him that's all going to go ahead in the future. And I noticed that all of it was about ministry. If we, we were talking, to, I remember Alan, I just had a smile on my face, our treasurer, and he said, are we overspent in this area? Isn't that good news? Because it's for the right reasons. And I love that. It's the topsy-turvy world of the kingdom. Fantastic. Let's overspend, not just financially. Let's overpray if we can possibly. Let's overexpect, because we said the Bible said, and we said yesterday, you can do immeasurably more than you ask for or imagine. Do we really believe that with passion? Are we going to come on Tuesday and expect God to move in two people's lives? I do. Your story fits into that greatest story ever told. Yesterday was good. It was all about ministry, and we've got to get on with it. It's all about mission. We can never forget the purpose, which is to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I look around the world and I, I try and discern the times and cl- the clouds do seem to be gathering. The persecution seems to be increasing. Uh, the spiritual atmosphere is quite dark. And people are lost and they need God. And we know they need God. They don't know it and someone has to tell them. And in that mess and in that darkness, the church, the people of God, stands. God is saying to us now, get up and stand. Get off your feet and stand. It stands in that mess and it shines. Yesterday we was reminded by Ruth when she spoke, you are the light of the world. I didn't know she was going to say that. It was in my talk as well. You are the light of the world. And let me read the passage, Matthew five, thirteen to sixteen. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead they put it on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And Ruth reminded us yesterday that Jesus looks to to himself and says, I am the light of the world. But then he says, you are the light of the world because we go in his name. And we can make a difference in those spiritual atmospheres. Let's be more salty. Sometimes salt helps preserve. It helps taste. But if sometimes it's bitter. You put it on its own and taste it. It's not very nice. Sometimes we have to speak out and people will be offended. But we can't back down from that. We can't back down from truth. We've got to mess the world's in, in the darkness. In that darkness, we can be the lion. And we said yesterday, you could turn all the lights off. I'll strike one match, you'll see it. It makes a massive impact. Wherever you are, let your light shine. Let your, let your light be seen as a church. Let people see what we do. Because in the end, it glorifies God. They will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And collectively, we're all part of the greatest story that, ever, was, that was ever told. And your story is part of that story. i hand over to Tom. Gina Biden.
1: I thought you all looked like you're enjoying it more than normal. <laughs> <laughs> But as we follow Paul's story, there's one thing that, that I always find fascinating. He almost enjoyed being locked up. Because he started off going into going into synagogues, Jewish temples, and preaching about Christ, which is never going to go down well. Sometimes people bought into it, some people said, I get it, I get it, yeah, you're right. But most of the time it caused it caused outrage. And eventually Paul was Paul's arrested. And he has trial after trial after trial, and most of the trials get to the, the conclusion that he's done nothing wrong. We, we, can't, we can't put him to death. We shouldn't even imprison him. But Paul is the one that says, I want to be tried by the next line-up, the next, the next authority in the chain of justice. We see it in this story. At the, end. at the end of this account, Paul's been before King Agrippa, and the conclusion at the end of chapter 26... Paul leaves the room, and, and there's a bit of a, um, bit of a discussion, and um, we're told in verse 31, while they were talking with one another, they said, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. He wants to go, he wants to, go to the top, he wants to go all the way up there. And the thing I love about the, about the, the story is that he, he keeps on going and going and going until eventually he is imprisoned in Rome. He went for the top. And of course, he was absolutely right because it was, he didn't see it in his own lifetime, but but a couple of hundred years later, Emperor Constantine was converted. To Christianity. And so began the, the birth of the Holy Roman Empire, the st- spread of Christianity. That's why, that's why we are here now today. That's why the Christian faith spread. Paul had the right idea. So it's a great story. And Paul never, never quite saw the significance of his own story within God's narrative. But we can look back and we can. And we can take heart from that. Paul's story is an absolute marathon. It goes on and on and on. And, of course, at the moment, as we speak, there are about 50,000 people um, conducting their own marathon through the streets of London. Now, I can tell you, that's not easy. I, I, I've done a marathon uh, three times now. And... Um, just, like, drop that in. <laughs> but, you see, um, I first did it... I was a, I, when, when I was a young man, I did it. I'm 36 now. Every day's a bonus. <laughs> but, you see... The first time I did it, I'd done all the training and I was ready. I got a sponsorship and I was really excited about it. I, I couldn't wait. And um, I got to Greenwich Park and the, f- the first thing I saw was um, a hippopotamus doing a wee a tree, which you don't really expect to see at, at, at 9 o'clock in the morning at Greenwich Park. But um, there were some, some stranger sights than that, let me tell you. But once we started, once we started, you do have that feeling. Once the initial adrenaline's worn off and you're, 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 you're running, you do suddenly have that feeling that this is a long way. And I don't know London well enough to know where I'm going and it's hard work and you get sort of past the the three mile point where all the different start, they have a red, blue and green start, they all merge at, at that point and you suddenly, you're a bit overwhelmed by the sheer number of people who are also running. And you have, to keep, you have to keep the pace with the people you're running with. I went off, the first time I did it, it, went off too fast. But I had to keep that pace going for as long as I could because otherwise you just become a, a problem. People are trying to get around you all the time and it's, it's soul-destroying. You have to keep going. In a church, in a church you can sometimes feel that people are just doing things so much better than you. People are, people are running on and they're, they're going at a much, much better pace. They're going to get there before you. They're understanding things. They're running things. They're achieving things. They're converting friends. They're doing all this. And you're just kind of going backwards. It can feel like that. But you keep on going. In the marathon, you keep on going. Sometimes you get to, um, you get to these aid stations um, and they have, they have water and stuff and... Uh, some of them have, I think it's every five miles, they have a LucasAid stop. And they're great, because, you know, you, you, you need it. But they're not always great. I remember, um, I think it's the second one I did, there was, there was this, this LucasAid stop, and I walked past, and I grabbed a little pouch, because I don't do bustles, I've I don't know if it's environmental or what, they do these little foil pouches full of LucasAid. But I always remember picking one up, I think it was a ten-mile point, And I'd I'd pulled the lid off and chucked that away, and I was just about to take a drink, and someone, you've got got tens of thousands of runners, and they take a swig and chuck it on the floor. And I was running along, and the guy about three yards in front of me stamped on a pretty much full pouch (laughs) that still had the lid loosely fixed to it. And this thing was like a bullet. And it exploded. The lid hit me where you don't want to be hit when you're running a marathon. And I was covered. So for the next couple of... I dropped my drink in the, in the, the impact, so I didn't get my LucasAid. And for the next mile, everybody that saw me said, has he wet himself? So I had this, this, this yellowy-orange mixture dripping down my legs. So it didn't work out as I had planned. And sometimes we have setbacks in church, but we keep on going. We keep on going. There was another time...
0: Oh. to <laughs> crazy.
1: Thank you There was another time when um, uh, i was I was running along and uh we got to commercial the commercial road, which I think is a, about the 18, 19 mile point, some, something like that. So it was quite a long way in, and uh, you, you've, you're in a rhythm. You just keep on going and going and going that you don't want to be stopping. You don't want anybody getting in your way because it's all it's just about just plodding on, just keeping going and going and going. I'm no Mo Farah. I just I, I, I just it's a, it's a chore. It was hard work, and there was a guy, there were stewards holding people back. And there was a crossing. And they were saying, right, you, you know, you've know, you got to wait for a break in the runners. But there's this one guy who jumped over a fence. And um, the stewards couldn't stop him, and he, he just decided he was going to dodge his way through and get across quickly. And he, he dodged in the guy who was a little bit in front of me. He sort of got past him, and he was, you know, I could see what was going to happen. He was crossing straight in front of my path. And so I was... I didn't show much Christian love. As soon as we kind of got close, I just shoved him as hard as I possibly could. He went flying, he was on his phone, his phone smashed on the floor, and there was a big cheer from the crowd, which I, <laughs> I thought, brilliant. And then I suddenly thought, he hasn't just run 20 miles. If he gets up and chases me, <laughs> I'm dead. So I think I then ran my quickest mile. LAUGHTER um, But you see, sometimes in church, people get in our way. There are people who want to stop us and become obstructions. And sometimes it's right that we stand up for ourselves, that we shove them out of the way. Standing up for Jesus sometimes involves involves us shoving those obstacles out of the way, being a little bit aggressive. But there are other times, of course, when you see the pictures of people with an arm around somebody helping them to the finish line because their legs have gone and they can't do it and they've just got the last few hundred yards and somebody sacrifices their own personal best to lift this person up and carry them to the end. I've not been involved in one of those stories, (laughs) but maybe one day, who knows. But you see, sometimes in church, often the right thing for us to do as a church is look look beyond the obstacle and, and show love for the person. Show love, but we mustn't let ourselves be taken advantage of. You see, doing a marathon is a brilliant experience. It's a great achievement. But I must admit, when I first started out, I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think I could do it. I bet when Paul first started out in in Acts, when he'd had this Damascus Road experience and he'd suddenly realised the plan that God had for him, the, the story that God had written, I bet there was a moment when he thought, I can't do it. I can't do it. Just like when Lynn was on a pub crawl last week. sorry she's not here don't worry and and she sat there and phil said to her should we go we should go and talk to them. she said oh, i can't do it and then she did it she did it i didn't think i could run 26.2 miles but i did it paul didn't think he could he could go on that journey trial after trial after trial prison after prison but he did it he did it and yesterday it was brilliant It was brilliant to talk about all the things that we did as a church. I bet in in 1960, whatever it was, I can't see Nick, wherever he is, um, but when this church first started, I bet that group of people didn't think that they could start a church that would achieve what we've achieved, that could do what we are doing. I bet they didn't, but they did it. They went with it, and they did it, and we continue to do that now. We now play a part in the narrative of Biddericky Baptist Church, the narrative of the wider Baptist Church, the narrative of the Christian faith that God has written for us. That is such, a, such an amazing thing to be part of. It's such an encouragement. We have got such a privilege in our lives. So let's just remember to have that that narrative in our minds. What was chapter one? What was the point where it all changed? Where was it that we we became followers of Christ, that we decided we were going to commit and make a life decision to start following him? Why did that change take place? Why did it affect us in the way that it did? And why do we now, despite challenge and difficulty in a world that tells us that we're out of date and out of time, why do we persevere? because if we can if we can have those answers ready it makes evangelism so much easier when someone says why you don't say um you say because and if we are, if we are prepared for that sort of conversation then we can go into any situation armed armed with the necessary tools to spread the kingdom of god which is what we're called to do you see ultimately the mission of the church The mission of the church is to believe in the power of Christ. We can't do it in our own power, but in the power of Christ we can. To be bold and courageous. If we truly believe that the Holy Spirit is within us, then we're not relying on our own power. We are being bold and courageous because we know that there is nothing that cannot be achieved in the power of Christ. Our God is sovereign. Our God reigns supreme. If we truly believe that, then we pray on Tuesday expecting to see results. If we don't see them, we still have faith. But we go in expecting. We pray expectantly because that is what we're called to do. Because Christ believes in us. He expects us to play our part in the story that is written for us. We're expected, and so we can expect him to respond when we cry out. So let's do that. Let's rise up in faith. Let's use yesterday as a, as a launch pad to, 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 to celebrate what we do to, to spread the news that Billericay Baptist Church offers so much to the community. Let's explore new avenues. Let's be, let's be bold in, in assessing what we do and what we can change, how we can improve things. Let's, let's assess our own lives. What can we give? Can we give some time? Can we, can we give, uh, devote time to prayer? What can we do to help our church? Ian said yesterday, we've got an established team, and it's great, and I cannot tell you what a privilege it is to be part of that team, to to work in that office. It's, It's a good place to work. But we are limited in what we can achieve. We need the whole church to get involved, to rise up and to say, this is what I can give. Like I said yesterday, this is my drop that I can offer, and it's not very much. But if we can collectively say, right, this is all the drops, look at that, Look, there's an absolute flood that we can unleash and change this town. Let's do it. This is an exciting thing to be part of. On the back of yesterday, when we celebrated everything that's been achieved and all the we spoke about the, the, the vision of the church. I don't know about you, but I came away feeling feeling really empowered that we can do something that we can we we can make we can make our church known to so many more people than know about it already. We can make a difference we can offer the opportunity for people to come to know Jesus themselves, to have that that holy relationship with God. When you finish the marathon, you cross the line and you are absolutely spent. You don't have an ounce of strength left. And they give you a medal that weighs an absolute ton and you kind of drag it along the floor behind you. But no one can ever take away from you the claim that you can stand in front of people and say, I've done that. I've done that. When I finished, I looked at the clock and I thought, oh, it's rubbish time. It's not what I was hoping for. And I, I made this mistake and, I, and I, I beat myself up about it. But actually now I stand here and look back and I think, I did that. And I'm proud of it. Paul talks about finishing the race. The race that we all run. This, this marathon of life that has challenge after challenge, that has those moments where we feel absolutely spent. But let's not forget, there is a crown awaiting us. There is a crown awaiting us at the end that will be presented by God himself when he says, welcome home, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to identify ourselves as your children. Father, thank you that that we are part of your church, that you are the head of this church. And Father, thank you for this this reminder that that although we might feel that we are insignificant, we might feel that at times we, we fail to live up to your expectations, Lord, we know that you have a story planned for us. You have written this narrative and you've written our names into it. We have a part to play. And Father, we pray that you will, you will use us. We pray that, that as, we, as we explore what that part is, we will do so in a way that honours you, that we will be bold and we will be courageous and we will have the conversations that maybe scare us a bit, but we, we feel bold because we know that we're relying on your power and not our own. Father, we pray that, that we will take the opportunities, like Lynn spoke about earlier, take those opportunities that do require us to be bold and <coughs> courageous, that do require that confidence, that strength that comes from you. We pray, Father, that we can be a church whose, whose faith, whose faith shines through, whose faith is evident, a church that expects to see you at work around us. Father, help us to recognise the, the, the works that you do and help us to, to recognise when the, when the opportunities are given to us and help us to pounce on them and use them and, and take them, Lord. Father, may you use us to make a difference in this world, to spread your kingdom. We pray through the power of Jesus, your Son, who is risen and whose spirit dwells around us and in us. Amen.